Real peace. Real peace. Do you have it? Do you have authentic, real peace in your hearts, in your soul? This is the series we've been in in John 14. We took a few weeks off. We're jumping back. John 14 is where we're going to be at today if you want to turn. But I still want you to be thinking about this real peace. Next week, we're going to see Jesus is actually going to talk about the peace. He's going to bring it up. He's going to talk about the peace that he's leaving with us. The peace that he says to the disciples, he was leaving with them. And he says it's a different type of peace. It's not the type that the world gives, but it's his peace that he gives to us. It's the type of peace that will cause believers to be in the middle of a war, to still sing his praises, to be willing to stay back, to stay underground. Those still scared, those still feeling the fear and the experiences of the body, but in the midst of it, a shining light that's brighter than any bit of the darkness that they may be experiencing around them. Jesus is offering and, and trying to give every person on the planet that will take it real peace. It's the type that actually invades your heart. How many of us have spent so much time in our life chasing the things that we think will bring it, we get it, and we're no different. Actually, worse off. The hole in our hearts left worse, bigger, more gaping. Jesus is trying to leave peace with his disciples because he is about to depart and leave them physically so let me remind us, chapter 13 of John, Jesus is with the disciples. He institutes the Lord's Supper. He washes their feet. Judas leaves. He says that one of them's going to betray them, him. They're all wondering who it is. Judas is out of the picture. He's already left. Peter has just been told that he would deny Jesus multiple times. And now in John 14, trouble and when I say trouble, I mean overwhelming sadness and worry and panic has filled the hearts of the disciples, the 11 who were there with him. Jesus knows this, so he's going to spend like the next three chapters doing one thing, which is what you're going to see every single one of the sermons in this series doing that same thing, is it's trying to comfort the hearts of disciples with the truth and the promises of God that remain over you while your circumstances are trying to paint a different picture for you and the enemy's trying to paint a different picture for you, trying to stir within your heart a trouble and an anxiety and a worry that's unwarranted because God will never leave us or forsake us. Never leave us or forsake us. This is the context. You remember it? Are our minds back in place? Today, we're going to do a similar thing that we've done. We're going to look at the passage. We're going to read it. We're going to seek to understand it, and then we're going to bring it home. This is, this is important with narrative. When we're looking back and we're seeing something that happened in the past, trying to figure out what it means for us, because we're, 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 we're peering into a conversation that Jesus had with just a few disciples. Their situation is a little different than ours. But then this conversation and the things that Jesus says pierces through time and it reaches every disciple of all time. Everywhere on the planet. But we got to work our way to it so we can understand it as best we can. So let me 
read the passage, and I'm actually going to include verse 15, and we're going to work through verse 24. I want you to follow along with me. I'm including the past uh, passage we did because it really relates. It's in the context of it. So we're going to read verses 15 through 24, and then we're going to seek to understand it, okay? Here we go. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Jam-packed passage. Um, There is a lot going on here. So that's why we're going to spend the next few minutes getting our minds wrapped around what Jesus is saying and even why he's saying it. But, but remember this, the, 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 the overall reason that Jesus is saying these things is because he knows what's going on into the hearts of the disciples. Troubled has filled their hearts. So what is it disciples who, who were tempted to think that God's abandoning them need to hear and need to know that will take that trouble away? And if you look in uh, chapter 16, do you know Jesus says this? He says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning, still in the context, talking to because I was with you now, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? This is, this is just a couple chapters later. We're going to get here eventually. Why does Jesus say, none of you ask me, where are you going? They absolutely asked him where he was going earlier when he said he was leaving. What Jesus is meaning is, as this conversation goes on, Jesus is saying, I've told you these things and you've stopped asking me the good questions. And he says this. He says, none of you ask me where you go, but because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. So we already know, spoiler alert, after all of this effort that Jesus is putting in to help these disciples understand, their hearts are going to be just sinking deeper and deeper and deeper to the point where they've just stopped asking the inquisitive questions that they should be asked. Like, where, where are you going? What are you doing? Like, Jesus wants them asking these questions because he wants to be able to reveal to them the awesome spiritual nature and truth of what he's doing. But as time goes on, they stop asking those questions and Jesus can see into their heart they're just filled with sorrow. Why? 
Put yourself in the disciples' shoes. You've been walking with Jesus three years. You've left everything behind. You've been your whole life hearing about this prophecy of the Messiah through all the history of the Jewish nation and this Messiah who would come, who would be king, who would reign, who would defeat the enemies once and for all. This we know. We'll see the enemy run. This is what you're looking forward to. The whole time with Jesus, he's like quiet, not revealing himself, and you're so badly wanting the time where Jesus, this man who you followed and you're following, you're ready for him to reveal himself to the world and say, I'm king and make everything right. That's exciting, right? And they're starting to realize in this moment that Jesus isn't going to do that. And sorrow has filled their heart because it's not what we expected. Last time we introduced another helper. Jesus told them, hey, listen, I'm not going to leave you. I am actually going to send to you another helper, the Holy Spirit, who will be with you forever. And not with you only, but he will be in you. You've experienced him being in close proximity, but a time's coming when me, God himself, the Holy Trinity, will dwell within his people. And actually, this passage is one of the richest passages that talk about the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son all together in a, in, intermingling, wrapped up. And that's part of the mystery that's getting revealed here is this wonderful, holy trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and how he is working to indwell his people and how this is going to be far better than them walking on bare feet with Jesus on planet Earth. Though to us in our human form, this is the way we would prefer it. Okay? Mine's wrapped around it a little bit. Holy Spirit has been introduced last time we were here. Jesus said the helper's coming. Now look what he says in verse 18. This is where our journey begins and what we need to make sure we understand before we bring it home. Verse 18. Those first few words kind of encapsulate what Jesus is trying to do in all of these chapters. Look what he says. I will not leave you as orphans. Notice he doesn't just say, I will not leave you. The point is, the, the physical absence you're going to experience in me does not mean that I'm abandoning you and leaving you fatherless. It doesn't mean that because I'm not with you side by side that you're going to be orphans without a parent not abandoning you. He's saying, I will not leave you as orphans. And again, we can understand why that would be so terrifying, why that would be sorrowful. Again, you think about the picture of being lost in the wilderness with your kids, small child, and you know some situation is up where you have to leave them in the woods all by themselves, and you have to go out and find safety. And you know, you have the full confidence and full assurance. You can see it, but they can't. You know that this is going to be actually a thing that's going to save their life. They can't quite see it yet. And they're just, they're just ripe with sorrow and fear because they're left in the wilderness physically all alone. All the while, your absence is securing for them their salvation. We get this? This is what Jesus is trying to comfort them with. Listen, I am leaving you physically. But, not like, but it doesn't mean what you think it means. My physical absence does not mean you're fatherless. My physical absence means something is happening that's better than you could ever imagine. And look what he says here. He gives them a promise then. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now look a little bit further. There's a couple things here that we need to ask the right questions about and understand. He says here, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. What does that mean? When is that? What is he talking about? Then he says, yet a little while. How long? What do you mean yet a little while? 
and then the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Okay, well, what does that mean? And then he says, uh, because I live, you also will live. What does that mean? And then he says, in that day, you will know. What, what day? Okay. Have I, have I put out the question marks there? We have the question marks. Let's look at it. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Three things that this could mean. It could mean it's referring to the second coming that he brought up at the beginning of chapter 14 when he said, when he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That's an a, that's a indication of the second coming where Jesus actually comes back and takes his bride with him. Is he talking about that? Well, maybe. The other thing he'd be talking about is, I will come to you in the form of the Holy Spirit. I just got talking about the Holy Spirit who's going to come and indwell you. Is that what he's talking about? Maybe. The third option is he's saying, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm going, you're going to see me die. But in three days, I will come to you. You are going to see me again. And I want us to take this. This is the interpretation I'm taking in the context. I think this is what he's comforting. The 11 disciples who are right there in front of them, this is what he's talking about. In three days, you're going to see me. You're actually going to, you're going to see me come back to you. Because when he says, because I live, you live also that is the sign of a resurrection. So Jesus is getting, he's in the context of talking about actual proximity, not long from now, you're gonna see me physically again. Understand? Could mean all three of those things. I'm saying to you in my own study, I believe it's this. So let's run with this. They're gonna see him in three days. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then he says this, yet a little while. How long is that little while? Because pretty subjective. That little while is only hours. It is, it is approaching the night when he's going to be betrayed. And as the morning sweeps through, Jesus is then uh, uh, goes through the council and then he's scourged and he's crucified. So he's hours away, less than half a day away from dying. So when he says, yet a little while, hours, what's gonna happen? I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In three days, yet a little while, in a few hours, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. You see the context? You see of why he's talking about the resurrection? In a few hours, the world, and this is very, very important, the world is no longer ever again, at least up to this point, going to see Jesus. They had, they had uh, 30-something years of Jesus on planet Earth where the world saw him. But the moment he died and was put in the grave, that was the last time the world saw Jesus. But who gets to see him after he was raised? Yet a little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. All right, talking to the disciples. Time's coming. I'm gonna die. You're gonna see me die. I know that's gonna be hard, but trust me, I will come to you. You will see me again. And we know from the scriptures that he appeared to all the disciples and then to 500 other different believers in his resurrected form. Resurrected body, not form, excuse me. That's not the accurate word. Resurrected body. Then he says this, because I live, you also will live. You're gonna see me. You're gonna see me resurrected. And that's a sign to you that you will live just as I live. He's already giving them assurance and promises. He's pouring it out. 
And then he says this in verse 20, in that day. Like we have to, what day? Is he still talking about the day of after the resurrection? I believe so. In that day, once I'm resurrected, the, the, the whole amount of time after I'm resurrected, something's changing. It's no longer gonna be a point in time. It's gonna be a whole new era. In that day, after I'm resurrected, things will begin to change. And what's the one thing Jesus says to his disciples is gonna change in their heart and mind in that day? In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Why is this so important? He's talking about leaving that. Well, well, think about it. They've been asking in John 14 all of these questions that reveal in their heart. They don't fully comprehend. They don't quite have the spiritual maturity and knowledge to understand the complicate or the complexities of Jesus being God and the Father being God, and the Holy Spirit being God. But because what did they say earlier? Father, uh, Jesus, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. Have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me? That's what Jesus said just a few verses earlier. So he's saying something's going to happen in that day. After I'm resurrected, you're, you're going to know. You're lacking a little bit of knowledge. Now, you're still mine. You have the identity. You're saved. You're my children but you're babes and you don't quite have the Holy Spirit and I haven't quite brought my work to a completion. It doesn't quite make sense to you. Sorrow and anxiety and expectations of how it should have been are clouding you from how it really is. But in that day when I'm resurrected and you see me, you touch the holes in my hands and my feet and I'm with you, oh, things are gonna start to change. You're gonna know you're going to know exactly who you are walking with these three years. And what does he say you will know? What is it they're going to have confidence in? You will know that I am in the Father. I and my Father are one. I am God, essentially. And you and me, you have the confidence that you have the same union with me that I have with the Father. Is that comforting? And look at this, and it's not one way. It's not you and me, but it's also I and you. He's giving them this great comfort. And we sing this song, I just want to be with you. It's Jesus saying, the one thing you want more than anything these disciples wanted was to be with Jesus. And the fact that he's leaving and they're so sorrowful proves that that's a desire in their heart because that's the one thing they want. They've left everything already to be with Jesus. And he's comforting with, with the reality, oh, I'm not leaving you as orphans. Let me explain. I am definitely going to be with you. It's going to be better than anything you've experienced. He's trying to comfort them. Should be exciting, right? Should be exciting. But sorrow is filling their hearts. And then verse 21, something shifts. He says, or it seems as though it shifts, but I just want to make that recognition. He says, in that day you'll know me, you'll know that I'm in the Father, and I, you and me, and I and you. Whoever has my commandments, verse 21, and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So Jesus already bringing in a truth that's, oh, bringing in the inquisitive questions in the minds of the disciple, which is why Judas then, not Iscariot, the other Judas, asked a very 
awesome question with what Jesus just said. What did Jesus just say? Jesus just out of the blue said, whoever has my commandments, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will manifest myself to him. And Judas then asked this, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Okay, you're saying you're saying things that, that you got to help me out, Jesus. You've just said a little while, which is a few hours, less than half a day, and the world's going to see me no more, but you will see me. And then you've just said that, that you're going to manifest yourself to all those who love you. Okay, help me understand how it is we can see you, and you will manifest yourself, but... but no one outside of us, no one outside of believers, no one outside of those who love you will be, right, that's what they should be thinking. Jesus wants them, he wants us thinking that too. That's the inquisitive question we should be thinking as we're hearing Jesus say these things. So Jesus then answers with, a quest, with an answer right off the top that it's confusing. Like how, this doesn't feel like an answer, Jesus. What are you saying? Jesus answered him, verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, if Jesus just said as an answer to the question, how is it you're gonna manifest yourself to us and not the world? If Jesus said, my father and I, we're gonna come and make our home with him. That kind of makes me ask another question. What do you mean by that? What do you mean? It's an even bigger question now. Okay, we say, okay, you're actually, so you're, you're saying you're going to come and actually make a hall, like you're going to have a, a building and you're going to live in it and you're going to live with, are we going to like be like in hiding and like every time the like centurions come knock on the door or whoever it is, like we like, Jesus, get in the back room. They can't see you. Like, what are you talking about? Right, this is the knowledge. The, they're, they're, they're before Pentecost. They're before the resurrection. Jesus hasn't even died on the cross yet. We're, we know these things, but they're peering, they're experiencing the time when this was to be revealed. And Jesus is throwing all this good stuff out. But why does he include, if anyone loves me, he will keep my commandments? Well, he's still in the theme. He's still in the theme and the context of what he said Back in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You see these awesome promises and guarantees of comfort that Jesus is giving to his disciples. They hinge on something. There's something that must be true about a person in order for these things to be true for that person. And so when you hear all these great and wonderful things, the mind should naturally go, well, how do I get those things? How do I ensure that I am a part of this? All right, so here's where we're going to take a little turn from just looking at the passage, trying to put ourselves in the, the disciples' shoes. And I want us to bring it home and now start making this a little bit more personal. Let's make it personal. You'll see up on the screen, I'm going to put a uh, like a heading here. And it says this, being a child of God comes with guarantees you don't want to miss. Being a child of God comes with guarantees you don't want to miss. 
Now, I know I just made, I just got your mind thinking about the if anyone loves me piece. I want you to put a bookmark there. We're going to finish with that. We're going to work our way to that. So now I want these, this conversation that said to the disciples, I want it to invade our hearts. Some great things that Jesus just said here, but how can I have the confidence and know, how can anyone know that, man, having these things or, or not being an orphan, which means being a child that's not left, that's a part of the family, where's the confidence at, right? And being a child of God comes with awesome guarantees that should be comforting your heart in the midst of your own journey when you're tempted to look at your circumstances and think the wrong thing about it. When you're tempted to think that God's not with you, he's left you, that all this pain that you're experiencing, whether it be financially, whether it be in your marriage, whether it be with any other relationship, whether it be at school, whether it be what, uh, uh, your health, what, whether it be a war, whether it be instability, whether, whatever it may be that's constantly circling around you, our human brains are just like the disciples and we're always constantly tempted and falling into making conclusions about things which, which always go back to conclusions about God that are wrong and that hurt our hearts and our soul and they chip away at our faith, leading us to more and more unbelief. God's not with us physically, so we don't know what it's like to see him leave physically, but we know he's not with us and we have plenty of times on our own when we're tempted to think that maybe God's done with us. Maybe he has left us. Maybe he's not real. Maybe he doesn't care. Maybe I'm not a part of the family. Maybe he's punishing me. Maybe he's done with me. Listen, if you're a child of God, Jesus, by, his, by the Holy Spirit, wrote and inspired these words to be recorded down so you could now read them here on March, what is it, 7th? I don't even know the day. March 6, 2022. And so you could digest and chew on and know these wonderful things and truths for, are for you as well. Because he doesn't want sorrow to fill your heart. So let's look at a few of these. I want to give you some guarantees that come with being a child of God. The first one is this. You will never be abandoned by God. Never. Never abandoned by God. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. That doesn't just refer to the 11. That refers to all of his disciples. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's been saying this in the, since the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 31.8. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And then you, I try to reach to the early, one of the earliest books in the Bible. Then I try to reach to one of the, the uh, 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 furthest books of the Bible. From bookend to bookend in Hebrews, he says this, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And you see that? You see already in the book of Hebrews, he's showing what we already start to turn to as we start to doubt God. As we, because we start to believe he's not there and we dwell in unbelief, we live in unbelief, we think he's not with us and we still begin to uh, doubt his power and his ability and his willingness, we start to turn to things like money to solve our problems and to bring joy into our life. No, 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 no. You don't need to do that because he says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus said, I will, never, I will not leave you as orphans. It's a guarantee for every 
child of God, a promise from God that he will never leave you. And then forsake is like, I'm done with you. I'm willingly and purposely done with you. Not gonna happen. Come up here and paint the picture of the excuse of why you think, but for me it's different. And then we will slap that around and say, no, that's not true. It's not true. Look at this next one that he guarantees every child of God. You will have eternal life. The wages of sin is death. Everyone's going to experience a physical death, but the soul does not die. And every single person on the planet, their body and their soul has been condemned and is going to die. And those who do not know God, who who meet their rightful judgment from the wrath of God, will spend all of eternity dying. But Jesus says this, I will come to you, 11 disciples. I will come to you. And because I live, I'm risen from the dead, you will live also. Jesus' bodily resurrection is, it's a foreshadow. It's a promise and it's a guarantee that look, just as he was raised from the dead, we will be raised as well both spiritually and physically. God's gonna give you a new body that's not weighed down and impacted and and infected by sin and all the struggles and the worries and the anxieties and the tears and the sufferings and the shortcomings and the diseases we experience here on earth. That body's going away. That body's going to die. But your spiritual life has been made brand new. At the moment you believe in the Holy Spirit and dwelt you and gave you new life and now you have this promise and this awaiting of this future physical body that God's going to give you. And if you say, how is this going to be? He wants you to look at Jesus who on the third day rose from the dead, a dead body that came back to life to prove to you, one, he's God, but also to show you his power. And by the way, the heavens declare the handiwork of God. God can make anything from nothing. Only he can. You want to guarantee an awesome guarantee of being a child of God, you'll never be abandoned by God, but you will guarantee indicative you will have eternal life. It begins at the moment you believe and you only further realize that as time goes on. Look at this next one. You will know Christ when the world cannot. You will have a unique knowledge and understanding of spiritual things that you'd be unable to know unless the Holy Spirit was revealing these things to you. You will know Christ. He says this, I will come to you, which by the way does not apply to us. You hear me that? This is why when you're reading scripture, you're trying to figure out what applies to me. We have to do the work Or someone needs to come along to help teach, to understand what applies to me. He's talking to 11. He says, I will come to you. You and I were not there thousands of years ago, so we do not have this this particular promise of being there to see Jesus risen from the dead. So that doesn't apply to us. I will come to you, he says, yet a little wild, and the wild in the world will see me no more, but you will see me. That doesn't necessarily apply to us because we were not there. And we know because Jesus says to Thomas, Thomas, 
you call me Lord and God. Your Lord and God because you have seen and you believe. Jesus said, blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. We are the generation and part of the era of people who have not seen, yet we believe, and that is very special to God. But that doesn't necessarily apply to us. This is why we could be like, okay, so what do we need to pull out of this? What do we need to make personal for us? Here's what does apply to us. He says, because I live, you will live. That applies to you. In that day, we are in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, you and me and I in you. There's that special revelation. There's that special knowledge that we are a part of. This does apply to us because every believer understands, yeah, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. Yeah, I read through the Gospels and I see, I see the disciples just struggling to understand who Jesus is. But it like, I'm like sitting there like, don't you get it? He's God. That applies to us And then here's what else applies to us. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, he it is who loves me, will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. You will have eternal life. You'll know Christ when the world cannot. He will manifest himself to you in your heart at the moment you believe. You'll be awakened to new life and you'll know who Jesus is. And then you have this other guarantee. You will keep Christ's words and commandments. You will keep Christ's words and commandments. I want to come back to this one because I want us to end on that one. So I want to give you the other two guarantees that I see in this passage real quick. Verse 21 and 23, you will be loved by God. And then verse 23, you will be the home for God. Jesus says, whoever, when when I manifest myself to the people who love me, guess what? There's a guarantee in that, that you're you're not just like, you are loved by me and my father. We love you. We have an affectionate, intimate love for you. And that love will be proven and manifested in the fact that we will come and make our home with you. You will be the temple place where God himself exists and he lives. We will come and make our home. We read this, guys, and we understand this because we know, hey, the moment you believe the Holy Spirit lives inside you, God lives in you. Our bodies are their temple according to 1 Corinthians and God lives inside of us. This is wonderful, but they're learning this. These are the guarantees that are given to the child of God. Being a child of God comes in guarantees you don't want to miss. So let me show you this question on the screen. Closing it out, how can I know I'm a child of God? That's what should be plaguing our hearts when we read things like this. This is why Jesus is giving all this extra information as he gives them guarantees because he's saying, I don't want you to miss this or miss out on this. I'm giving you these guarantees, but as everyone else in the world reads and listens, there's something that they need to understand and they need to see the picture that they need to not be like Judas who gave me up for silver, who gave me up for money, who gave me up when life tested them, he gave me up proving he did not love me. And ergo, these promises and guarantees do not not apply to Judas so he had to leave so he could talk to the 11 and whom these apply to 
Look what he says here. If anyone loves me. He says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Jesus saying the child of God, the genuine child of God, the genuine person who has these promises is the one that genuinely loves Jesus. Easy to say I love Jesus. How do you know you love Jesus? Jesus says, whoever has my words and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And then he says at the end in verse 28, whoever does not love me, how do you know they don't love me? They don't keep or obey my words And then he said, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. By the way, you're going to know that everything that I'm saying, you can't be close to God without being close to me. These are my words. And guess what? My words are my Father's words. I am God. No one comes to the Father except through me. And those who do not follow Jesus, those who do not put their faith in Jesus, and those who do not keep God's words, which means I love Jesus, I hate sin, and I want with all my heart to follow him and obey him. My experience in life as I struggle at that, that does not mean you violated it if you're struggling with it, because you're going to struggle with it. But if you want to know, do I genuinely love Jesus? Look inside your heart. Can you say with your mouth, I love Jesus? Do you see within your heart a hatred for your way and your sin? though you fight with it every day? And do you also see within you a desire to want to do things Jesus' way and to follow him and be like him? And do you feel some type of effort towards that? Right? That would be the sign of someone that I would say is like, yeah, that's someone who's keeping his word. Yep, struggling all along the way. Not perfect, not expecting them to be perfect, but in their heart, they love Jesus. That's why the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Guys, you see all these great and wonderful guarantees? These guarantees are for the child of God. And we should all be leaving, contemplating, am I a child of God? Not questioning and not wallowing in like worry and anxiety, but hearing the great, wonderful warning, but also wonderful message that salvation and these guarantees and being a child of God is available to anyone. It's like God is spending all this time trying to court us, trying to give us every reason to believe in him. He just wants us to love him, to respond in love, not to be weighed down and try to be made perfect by the law. If anyone does not love me, who does not, whoever does not love me, you know it's the person who doesn't keep the word of God. So what do we need to be doing with this message? I'm about to pray. You spend time you reading over this. First, be comforted by the guarantees and the promises that are for your life. But also hearing hearing the number one thing God wants us focused on from verse 15 all the way to verse 24 is I want you to love me. I want the affections and the desires of your heart to be for me. But you can only love because I first loved you. As we do this and remember it's him and we think about God's love being poured out on the cross for all mankind, that is the only thing that's going to the gospel, hearing the ears invading the heart, awaking your heart to love God, and every single day of your life, that's where we must 
live and come back to always. Let's pray. Father, you know my heart, my struggle. So much good stuff, so much needs to be explained and understood, so little time. I pray your word would reverberate in our hearts and you'd comfort us with these truths. If there's anyone here that has has forgotten those, have never heard these, or someone who is being plagued by the lies of the enemy, you'd remove that and they would respond with hallelujah and rejoicing and know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And God, for the person here who may not love you, they're convicted in their heart that they've only been associated with you, but they've never had that relationship with you. Would you in your kindness and your patience move them to repentance and surrender and by the work of your Holy Spirit, draw them and help them see what true surrender and love looks like. You gotta do this work, God, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.